Hi. Welcome. Hi, Janet. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to our podcast. Leave a message. So, I think we talked, I think we said something about this last time about Mason feeling very strongly that we should change the name. And... Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't have an investment in it either way. Yeah. I don't think it's going to make or break whatever is going to happen here in this. No. What's happening is happening. Yeah. He, I mean, I'm flattered, immensely, immeasurably flattered that he is so invested and that he's enjoying the podcast and he's recommending it to people. And he feels like he has to explain to them that there's so many podcasts called Leave a Message that you have to search for it in a certain way and all that stuff. So it's going to be fine. Okay. It's going to be fine. Yeah. We'll move on. I mean, unless it's so clearly indicated that we know what the change is supposed to be. Yeah, right. It's like... I always think, I always thought that was some of the best advice I ever got. When you don't know what to do, don't do anything. Yeah. just Such great advice. Sure. Sure. Just wait. Just wait until you do know. Yeah. Why force it? Because then you're going to just force yourself, I feel like, into a yeah. position where then then there's a more unnatural yeah place that you're in because you force yeah. yourself and the way i explained it to mason yesterday was if initially there had been two equal ideas that we liked exactly the same and we chose one that was the harder one to find and the other one there was no other podcast called that name then I would acquiesce, of course, and change right, to the other right. one that we had already chosen or something. But that's not the case. We don't have right. we don't have another option that we felt like was as representative or unrepresentative of whatever. I have to tell you, when I was at Mason's the, yesterday visiting with Mason and Kyle, I started to tell them a story that we have that people have enjoyed. And I f- forget about it all the time. And I think it's worth revisiting because I wanted to talk to you about it because I tried to tell the story to Mason and Kyle and I couldn't remember if I was getting all the details right or if I was just mm-hmm. now making mm-hmm. stuff up. Because yeah, that's the great thing about having a friendship that's gone on so long is mm-hmm. that I have a fact checker. Well, <laughs> sometimes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. I have at least color commentary. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I figure between the both of us, we can cobble it, cobble it together. And then, you know, when I was telling you, I mean, Mason, if it's the story I'm thinking of, I remember it pretty well. Oh, good. Okay, good, good. I can't wait to hear your version. And then I started thinking about, I mean, as we've discussed, I'm sure while we were in that situation, and we discuss around many shows that we enjoy together, just about the, the personality type or the emotional state or the psychological state of people that do the certain things of the shows that we yeah. watch. And yeah. so I think, I mean, in this case, on this show, it's some type of mindset that I'm sure there's many different reasons that people do it, all of them bizarrely foreign to me, but I think still are a testament to the human condition and the societal mm-hmm. conditioning that we are now having with and the opportunity with dating apps and even just, you know, the internet or, or social media in general. So I'm always a, like, I don't watch 
I don't watch movies. Like, I don't really watch fiction movies. I don't you really don't. watch series all that often. No, you I don't. Watch, I watch, like, documentaries. I like mm-hmm. watching humans. I yeah. like watching what they do under weird conditions or... Well, should we first say some of the shows that we like that aren't the show that we're going to talk about? I mean, my f- my number one probably favorite show is Frontline, which is a, like a PBS news show, hour long. Like I've I've watched all of them, some of them many times. Those are so um, that's good. That's pretty much where I get my news and my. That's what I like to watch for. That's my favorite show. But I also like I I grew up watching like investigative reports and yeah, what was 60 that? Sixty minutes um, and all that stuff. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, 60 minutes. No, not so much 60 minutes, but, like, real investigative Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, I mean, we love Vice and all that stuff, but I'm talking about the shows that we watch, that you and I watch together. Yeah, okay, so (laughs) it's hard to explain why. (laughs) But I feel like we've gotten a lot, like, I've had some really important epiphanies that I think serve us and people mm-hmm. by watching some really like lowbrow shows. Yeah. Okay. Such I, I as- mean, they're just like I don't know if they're lowbrow, but they're right. like there's not a big budget going into these shows. They're pretty like exploitative sometimes. Mm-hmm. It does feel that way, especially when, well. The incredible, I mean, there's a lot of incredible factors that go into making a show like, I mean, the one that we're not talking about that we're really talking about mm-hmm. in this moment is My 600-Pound Life. And mm-hmm. before I'd ever watched the show and just seen commercials for it or was aware that it existed, and I saw how many how many years it had been on the air. And every episode is a different person. Yeah. And just like, wait a second, there's this many people in this situation that you could yeah, have a show just, going for so long. Yeah. And just then, in their house suffering. Yeah. And so then. Same I mean, with hoarders, right? Like there's a lot of episodes of mm-hmm. hoarders, which is just a person in their house suffering. Yeah. And then, I mean, of course we know intervention. Of course we, we know that that's a that every, every season. We've watched every episode. Of course we know there's a never ending supply of people to be on that show but yeah those other two shows hoarders and 600 pound life specifically it's just like wait there's that there's that much of that happening in society yeah so what what do you feel like is an epiphany for example that you've had around okay so it was my 600 pound life when we'd been watching and it was it was it was like brewing while we were watching these shows like because I think both of us are real interested in, like, dysfunctional mm-hmm. systems, right? Yeah. Like, and how to, like, intervene and how to assist and how to, like, reflect dysfunctional systems. And so, and this coincides with, like, some work that I was doing in therapy at the time, too, which was I have always heard and felt and, like, believed that I was the one who made my mom sick. I was an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. And alcoholics, like the counterpart to an alcoholic is an Mm Al-Anon, right? And that's like a family member who, instead of alcohol, what they are addicted to is people. They have obsessive thoughts about how to help and how to cure and how to change behavior. And they're very... control. 
Yeah, they're very driven to control and fix fix alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And so I was always of the like in the sort of chicken and the egg deal of like an alcoholic creates Al-Anons, mm. right? Their illness makes other people Ill- sick and they they respond to the alcoholism in this dysfunctional way that they get kind of into the hole with them. And you can see it on intervention, right? The mom is driving her daughter to buy crack with mom's money, right? And <laughs> yeah. and and in mom's mind, like, this is what's best for my daughter because mm-hmm. if I don't give her this money, she's going to do who knows what. Yeah, this is the loving act. To them, yeah, to them this it's This is like the loving act. Right. Harm reduction. Right. And so I've been, had been working with that system for a long time of like, that that's kind of what happens. And then I was doing work with therapy about like me having that feeling about my mom and that actually being like like corroborated by her that she mm. would tell you like that I made her ill right that I made her sick I she was up every night work I mean that woman if you listen to her she didn't sleep for 20 years right because mm-hmm. she would be up every <laughs> night worrying about me so then we start watching my 600 pound life and we see this dynamic emerging and I kind of like it's emerging in my head as it's kind of like we're watching it develop on the show of like there is a person who is eating 25,000 calories a day, mm-hmm. right? These people are over 600 pounds and to sustain and to grow that kind of weight gain, you have to be eating I- I- incredible amounts of food. Right. So this person is 600 plus pounds eating 25,000 calories a day, except they cannot functionally leave the bed, mm-hmm. right? And so there is a, there's always a counterpart, which is someone that's bringing them the food. Mm-hmm. And we lovingly, we lovingly refer to as... The feeder. The feeder. <laughs> yeah. The feeder. So, so there's a feeder, and if you, they ask these people, like, why are you doing this? Like, why do you keep bringing this person food? Mm-hmm. And they have some reasoning, like, well, they'll get really mad at me if I don't. And so I, we started watching it. It just started kind of gelling in my mind of like, wait, did the 600-pound person create the feeder? Or did the feeder create the 600-pound person? Because mm-hmm. the 600-pound person cannot do it for themselves. Right, And so is there something in that feeder that makes them want to, like, create a situation where they can help, right? Right. Air quotes, where they can help, where they can be important, where they can be involved. Dependent, yeah. They are, like, like creating a relationship where there is this interdependence, this dependence. Mm -hmm. And what is it, like, what does it fix in them? What does it? What is right. the the brokenness yeah. in them that is being fixed by he needs me or she needs me or right. I'm the they, one that helps them. They can't leave me if they're de- debilitated or disabled. Right, and they're literally yeah. feeding this person to death. Mm-hmm. And I would, and then I would look back at my my own relationships and be like, okay, which one was the feeder and which <laughs> one was the eater, and and like. Because there's something about food that just made it so basic, mm-hmm. so base, human, like the lowest low of like dopamine kick charge, right, is, mm-hmm. is food. 
Yeah. And so, like, there, it just felt so base that it was very obvious to me of, like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't as simple as alcoholics create Al-Anons. And so now the question that I have in my head is, do Al-Anons create alcoholics? Mm-hmm. It's very, it's interesting. It, it's, that's an interesting way for me to look at it is like, are there families that like have to have a bad guy? Right. Well, so many of their stories. So we also, of course, noticed all the similarities in all of their stories. I mean, it's all basically springs from the same places. And so often the 600 pound person will say, my mom gave me food to comfort me. Yeah. So something bad happened. A tragedy happened. Trauma. Yeah. And they got were comforted with food. Mm hmm. And the trauma, again, oftentimes was, you know, what we would label as abusive, but uh, but sometimes the trauma was just the absence of the things, yeah. you know, like sometimes trauma is just absence or yeah. absence mm-hmm. of connection, yeah. love, all, right. all that stuff. And it generally started very young in life. Mm-hmm. And built up, built up, built up. And so the thing about did the does the feeder make the eater? Does the eater make the feeder? It's like the way that I see it in my mind is like the graph where the the arrow point just points to the other one, and it's just like this cycle. Because which did come first, the chicken or the egg? You know, it's the same right. question. Like it's it's hard. It would be hard to. It'd be cool to really get into the the people who end up feeding the people and find out what their origin story is and if it was the same but it just didn't manifest in the same way like oftentimes there is some substance use or some alcohol or some you know alcohol misuse or something in those stories yeah because it's all being used for the same thing whether it's food or alcohol. well i think that's what's interesting about food particularly is because it starts so young Mm -hmm. right like I think drug addiction and alcohol abuse, like that, generally, you know, doesn't start prepubescence, right? It's no, usually yeah, it right start around at five years like old, yeah. middle school, right? But these, this dysfunction, this like, this stuff is happening at five years old. That's so true. You know, I mean, I, I think that that's crossed my mind before, but I hadn't really considered. And starting a pattern of behavior and of reward, like supply and demand mm-hmm. or like the reward system that early yeah, in life right and it's just right. calcified in there like this is what i do to to feel better yeah i mean and i like that term for it like calcified like it is a pathway so worn into someone's brain mm-hmm. that like that's some deep deep work that would need to be done and it's available you know you can steal a dollar out of your mom's purse and go to 7-eleven and get a ding dong or, or whatever right. and so and a lot of these people a lot of the people on the show talk about early, early in life, sneaking food, hoarding food, mm-hmm. being, you know, mindful that they needed, you know, supplies under their bed. So similar to someone hiding a bottle yeah. in their room or whatever, you yeah. know, not at five years yeah. old, but it's just uh and the other thing is, I mean, as far as any type of disordered eating, you have to eat, you have to have a relationship with food, you have to figure it out. And you know, with substances and alcohol, it's like you can live without them. You don't have to manage your relationship if, well, that's a whole other thing. You know what I'm talking about. But yeah, I've always had a lot of compassion for folks going through a struggle with their relationship with food because it's something that you, it's just an ongoing 
there's no, I mean, it's always going to be harm reduction. Yeah, right? you can't be, no abstinent. be abstinent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, again, that's another, yeah. So do you want to get into the story? Okay. I do. <laughs> I do want to get into the story. Okay, so you and I were out of town. Mm-hmm. We used to work at the same company. We've mm-hmm. worked at the same company a couple different times. Mm-hmm. What year? What year do you think this was? Fourteen. Um, was it two thousand fourteen? Something like that. 14-15? Yeah, I'm trying to think of what car I had, or like who was president, or what was going on. Um, we both lived. We lived at on at the Roosevelt apartment, mm-hmm. and we both were in a suburb of Spokane. What was it? Liberty Lake. Liberty Lake. We were <laughs> Liberty, Liberty Lake, Lake, Washington. Liberty Lake. Yeah. Na, 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 na. So we were in Liberty Lake, Washington at like a Best Western because mm-hmm. we were there for a work, I think an all hands meeting or something. Mm-hmm. And so we were at Best Western and we, it was like we had done the all hands yesterday, but we were flying out. Like tomorrow, mm-hmm. so we were kind of so we just went to the office and then came home from the office. It was kind of like a in between day. But let's talk. Let's describe Liberty Lake first of all because I think it's relevant to the it's story. It's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing there. There's it's a, nothing. It's a suburb of like a small. It's a suburb of a small, medium sized city, Spokane. So it's outside of Spokane. It's just like office complex, yeah, like, like one office story parks. office yeah. parks and mm-hmm. nothing really. Nothing. So it really was. Remote. It felt very remote. There was like, nothing for us to do there besides what we were doing, which yeah, was there was nothing. Yeah. No. Okay. So it was going to be the season two premiere of Catfish was going to air that night. So mm-hmm. they were showing all the episodes of season one. So we found that channel. I, d- you know, I think I don't think it was season one though. No, it was. It was definitely season one. You think it was the premiere of season two? I think it was farther along than that. I think Mm -mm. it was three or four. Okay. Okay. I think it was season two. Okay. Yep. So we were watching the whole... Marathon. Marathon of season one. Mm -hmm. And we were just like eating junk food. Pizza. We were in our pajamas eating pizza. We had gotten into our pajamas at like 3 (laughs) p.m. Got into our pajamas, (laughs) eating pizza, watching Catfish. We marathoned like probably six episodes of Catfish. And we were like Googling. Oh, that's right. All right? kind of we information about Neve like and Max. What, yeah, what nationality is Neve? Mm-hmm. What is like, Max single? Is Max How married? old are they? Right. Yeah. How old are they? We're just like Googling them. And we were, I remember we were still smoking. Mm-hmm. So after watching, I don't know, six or seven episodes of Catfish, we decide we're going to go out to the parking lot of the hotel and smoke a ripper <laughs> mm-hmm. go rip so, a butt yeah rip it sounds a butt. good right now I, uh, if, I, if i could smoke one cigarette a day i would smoke forever but i Ugh. but i but also as i say that that doesn't even make sense to me as i say it because no. i don't want to smoke one cigarette no i want to smoke 20 cigarettes yeah and have no consequences i always so think i don't smoke my, at all i know Here's my thing about smoking, like, especially now that they're saying, we only have 10 years left on the planet. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. 
Hmm. And I don't even feel like, oh, if there's only 10 years left, I want to drink or I want to use or whatever. I mean, I joke around about it a little bit, but I don't really mean it. But what I what the thought the the thought that really does almost become real in my mind is like, why? Why not just smoke some cigarettes and enjoy it if if there's only 10 years left? But I'm not going to I'm not going to give into it. But I'm saying like that thought is just like. Okay, so we're going to go rip a butt in the Best Western parking lot. So Mm -hmm. this is it. We're in our PJs. We're like super dumpy looking. Just like top not bun. Top not bun. Already washed our faces. No makeup on. Busted Uggs. Like flat Uggs. (laughs) No. Twisted twisted sweatpants. (laughs) Like we're not looking sharp. And we go to the elevator. (laughs) Still, it doesn't even seem. I can't even believe it happened. I know people. I first of all, so we're at the elevator. We push the button to call the elevator to us, and I we hear people on the elevator talking, and we were at this Best Western with other coworkers, Mm -hmm. right? And I figured the elevator had like, oh, it's the it's the dudes that we work with. They're in the elevator and they're coming up the elevator, and I'm like, I recognize the voices, so I think it's them. And we're there in Liberty Lake at the Best Western, and the elevator doors open, mm-hmm. and Neve, the host of Catfish, is on the elevator <laughs> with another woman. Can you even believe that? And Well, we couldn't. We could not believe it. Mm-hmm. So the elevator doors open. We see in the elevator mm-hmm. that it's Neve. We have just Googled him in our room. Right. We've just watched him for seven hours on Mm -hmm. TV. And we're staring open mouth. Like, my mouth is hanging open. Like, I am I feel like there was a cartoon noise of us looking in the elevator, looking at each other to try Mm -hmm. to confirm that the other person's seeing what we see. Looking back in the elevator like a zoinks. Like a doink? Like doink? Like doink? Doink? Yeah. Bleak? Right. Huh? So then, yeah. So we look at each other. <laughs> look back we look the back elevator. at the elevator, and Neve says, "Are you gonna get on?" <laughs> and I'm pointing at him. <laughs> my mouth is hanging open, and I just <laughs> nod my head like, "Yes, we are gonna get on." And right. the elevator door shut. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is the part where people say, "Wait, what?" You didn't get right. on the elevator? I'm no, like, we did not get on the elevator. You you can't impress firmly enough on people how surreal and just insane it was to even consider that this was happening, even though we're witnessing it for each other and with each other. But it happened. You can't. No. It was a ve- it was very like out of body. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it was just like the, co- the coincidences and all the things lined up in a way that, like, my brain could not compile all the information at the time, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. how does that, like, I was literally just Googling this guy, and we're in Liberty Lake, yeah, Washington. Yeah, we're in nowhere, in nowhere. Industrial park. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, industrial park, basically. Like, in this is all strip malls, and... No offense to wherever we were staying. Kind of a you know mid mid, low to mid grade like lots of long-haul truckers are staying there Mm -hmm. or something there's like big semis in the parking lot and stuff i mean it was a 
what is it called when it's like an affordable, like an economy level? Yeah, economy. Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Lodging. Yes. Well, so far, so good. This is how I tell the story so far. So then I remember us just like screaming. Don't we just start like. Yes, we screamed. We did <laughs> like, like what? what the hell? What the F? Like, yeah. yeah, we ran back to our room and changed. Mm. Or did we go down first? We went down. I think we did find the dudes. We went down and we were walking out. We were walking through the lobby and out the front doors. And two of our coworkers were standing at the desk, checking in or checking out or talking to the person behind the desk. And they said hello to us as we were walking by. And we didn't even acknowledge them <laughs> because we were in such a state of shock and stupor. And But as we were walking through the lobby, we see like in one of the big event rooms, mm-hmm. yeah, a big group of people. And we see Neve and Max in that room in the group of people. So then we start to kind of put the puzzle pieces together. But then we still go outside and start smoking and we're talking to each other like, hold on a second. And then... We came, we came back in through the lobby. We kind of divide. I, I devised a plan when we were out there, and I said, "Well, this is crazy. We have to. I, we, I have to. We have to say something to him because we look like, you know, crazy people." So we were walking by that room, and we kind of stepped in a couple of feet, and we saw Neve. And I said, "Hi. It probably seems very crazy to you that we <laughs> stood there staring at you, didn't get on the elevator." And he was just like, "Yeah, it was a little weird." And I said, "We've been watching." I told him, we've been watching the Catfish Marathon, and then, as you can imagine, our surprise when we go to our elevator and see and you standing there. Yeah. I remember and he was on crutches. He was, yeah. And then some some people started coming up to us. Like, the, the producer came up to us and said, we told her the story, kind of, and she said, hey, why don't you join us? And wa- we're going to watch the premiere. Why don't you guys come join us? We've got some food catered and some open bar and whatever. And we looked at each other and you were like, do we want to do this? And we were in our pajamas still. And mm-hmm. you said, let's yeah. go up and twist let's sweatpants. Yeah. Flat Uggs. Let us. We're going to go up to our rooms and just put some clothes on and we'll come back down. And we did. We went up to our room. I mean, there wasn't really time to like put on any makeup or do anything super fancy. But we did put hard pants on. <laughs> and then we went. Forever known as hard pants. Mm-hmm. And we went back down. And, you know, I had such a mad crush on Max. And I was just too terrified. I wouldn't. I was too scared to talk mm-hmm. to him. He was married. He was married at the time. I mean, it wasn't like that type mm-hmm. of. But I didn't even say hi to him. Or we didn't yeah. even, like, take any pictures or anything, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Did we? Mm-mm. No. No. But we sat there we with... I know. We sat there with the crew and with them and the producers and everybody and watched the premiere of, of the show. And it was so fun to hear the crew talking about the filming of an episode. And they had also invited a bunch of staff from the hotel to come in and watch and eat the catered food and stuff. And... So all was well and it was fun and everything. And we went back to our room and went back to and went to sleep and just could not even comprehend what had happened. But then do you remember the next morning when we went down to get like the bowl of cereal or whatever? 
The continental breakfast. Yeah, and we saw it ran into our coworkers. And they were like, Are you, were you guys high? <laughs> yeah, they were we high? were on acid. <laughs> they thought we were on hallucinogenics because we didn't say hi to them. And, and not only that, but we were like catatonic when we were walking by. Like we didn't even blink or acknowledge them. And they were just looking at each other like, are, are they okay? Are they? <laughs> but it, well, it was very strange. It's one of the strangest minutes of my life. I know, and it's just such a wholesome story, too. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. crimes, there's no yeah, death, no. there's no drugs or anything. Totally stone-cold sober. Mm-hmm. And and it really made me, well, and then the joke was, like, you know, I mean, Brad Pitt's, like, my all-time, all-time. And we lived in a building at that time, in an apartment building. We lived in different apartments, but in the same building, and it had an elevator. And so the joke was, like, I'm going to go home and watch every Brad Pitt movie Back to back, and then I'm gonna go yeah. stand in Get front in of the elevator. elevator. <laughs> yeah, like maybe you know if we. If I mean, it can't if be we have that, that strong of a power to manifest. Then yeah. let's. It can't let's. be that uncommon an experience. There's lots of people that are watching TV shows, right? And then they go use an elevator, and <laughs> yeah. people take elevators everywhere. So it's probably like this has happened before, where like sure the in who LA just watching, yeah, yeah, is now in your elevator. Like it probably happens in New York, and yeah. But Liberty Lake, it just right. seemed very strange. That's a significant, I mean, that's a significant detail you don't expect to see. I mean, the whole thing was just, we could have been watching anything else on TV. Yeah. And it still would have been weird to see Max in the elevator. There still would have been that component. But just the yeah. fact that we had been watching him on TV for six like hours. Like, you're in my Google history, and now you're in my elevator. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. Yeah. It felt very, like, voyeuristic or something, or kind of, like, mm-hmm. stalker-esque. Like, I, I somehow was at fault for... Yeah. And just also the vibe of Catfish is so like that anyway. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, we meet in person, but you're not who I thought you were. Like, wild. <laughs> right. That just happened seven times in a row, and then we're like, oh, my God, he's here in my hotel. <laughs> like, it was very much of a weird event. Well, and then we were like... We asked someone, I can't remember if it was the producer or if it was him, but what are you doing here? Why are you in Liberty Lake, Washington? Yeah. And they were like, oh, we're filming an episode, but we could never figure out. Did we ever try to figure out what episode it was? I don't think we did. Was? Did it Spokane? I mean, it would have to have been season three, right? Or season two. or th- I don't know how production works, like how much you leapfrog. Yeah. Like where, where, how far ahead are you of the Shows you have already filmed. I don't mm-hmm. know, but I could never find anything in Liberty Lake or Spokane. I know it kind of makes me want to now that we're talking about it. Yeah, we, we could should... we could spend we could spend some time on it. Yeah, I mean, we can at least just Google it and try to see like what season and what episode it is. I remember that Neve find. had a cast and crutches, so we could time it by that. Because he does have a cast in some episodes. I remember yeah. he hurt his leg. Yeah, that's true. And then the whole thing behind catfishing, I mean, do you understand what, why are people, is it a... Okay, yeah, that's a good topic. I mean, let's, is it a need have to Have you be, ever catfished? Have you have ever, I ever catfished, catfished someone? Oh my God, no, I'm too lazy for that shit. <laughs> I don't I don't want anyone to like me, let alone why would I want to trick someone into liking me? I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't like people that like me. I have I've never catfished, but I have. When I got sober in 2011, mm-hmm. like I was a 
drunk Facebooker. I Facebooked so many people just either just drunk or just tweaked. <laughs> what did you and do? And I what remember I sent, well, I don't remember precisely. And I've since deactivated Facebook, so I can't really go oh. back in time and look. Mm-hmm. But I remember somebody responded to me with like a question mark. <gasps> just one question mark. Did you so like it see just it the like, next day after yeah. you were... Um, just ba- like just crazy babble, crazy babble. And when I first met Jeremy, I heard him in a in a meeting, and then I like Facebook messaged him, stranger to stranger, Facebook message, and it was just babble, just like drunken babble. Really. And then I saw him again, and he was like, "Did you message me?" And I was like, "Yeah, sorry about that. I was very drunk." And he always loved that story that I drunk Facebooked him. So I, but I never f- pretended to be. I mean, I wish I had. I w- wish I hadn't done <laughs> pretended that. Pretended to be but someone I, else when you're, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh God, I wish I had. Well, how have I never heard that? that? I could blame that on. Right. How have I never heard that story? Oh God, I could tell you who it was that sent me the question mark, and it's like it was a woman, and she's just like very cool. She's just like one of the coolest mm-hmm. women that I've ever met. And mm-hmm. that's who I sent just like, I don't know, four or five paragraphs of just babble. So that's cool. Do you want to tell me who it was? Well, I'll tell you off the line. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> On the line, off the line. Mm-hmm. So, but I've never, I, I haven't ever catfished. I mean, it's just, to me, that whole thing is just like a whole compartment of psychology that I just don't. Well, I will say, though, that I have been in my life a great big liar. I I told people a lot of stories about me. I mean, I remember as a little kid, like, I told my best friend's mom that I got lost in the woods for like a month. (laughs) <laughs> and that you know there were searching parties and that I lived off the land and I saw a bear and I saw wolves I remember the lie and really the truth is is that like my brother and sister and I were at my were in Vermont at my grandparents property and they had a big woods and I think we were probably kind of lost like for maybe an hour mm-hmm. yeah right just like off the trail lost a little bit Nobody even noticed we were gone. That's how not <laughs> yeah. lost we were. Yeah. It was just a little kid embellishment kind yeah, of Yeah, it was a big thing. embellishment, though. And I remember I got, I mean, that was my first drug was a lie. Because mm-hmm. I got a charge out of that story. I liked that story. And, like, how much can, how far can I go before she knows I'm lying? Right. Like, I liked that. Yeah. My lies, I think, all were around stealing probably even early on early in life you know stealing money out of my mom's purse or stealing something or I don't know I mean it seems like I've I lied a lot but it was always about stealing and then about drugs of course but I just watched a documentary about a woman who claimed that she was a like a holocaust survivor and that she walked from she walked like through an entire country to try to find her parents and that she lived with wolves and she wrote a book about it and got a publisher and they were making a movie about it and stuff and then something went wonky and they found out that the whole thing was a lie but it was a story that she had created for herself so it to her it was kind of true yeah yeah 
Right. I mean, it was a really it was a really fascinating thing. And it's like you can't even really be mad or think the person is like doing it. She wasn't there was nothing malicious about the story except for that. She was just yeah. getting some notoriety. Well, I mean, for we've it, had but. lots of of those memoirs come out to be exaggerated. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Remember there I watched a movie called The Woman Who Wasn't There. And it was about a woman who, you know, me and documentaries, I've basically watched them all. But. This lady pretended to be a um, 9-11 widow. Oh, her husband had she died get a bunch in the of World money? Trade Center. Well, she got, I don't know if she got a bunch of money. I think she did get some money, but she got a lot of notoriety because she started all these, like, widow support groups and 9-11 survivor groups. And, <laughs> I mean, she was in the middle of all of these communities. And then they, like, kind of dig into the story and she wasn't there. Just for attention. And he wasn't like she her the person was made up. She wasn't engaged to anybody. She wasn't married to anybody who The person didn't but even the, exist at all. I mean it, I mean it's all people trying to like feel connected and important right. and like I get it. I understand lying. Yeah. I mean, even when I'm really getting dragged by my ego, I feel like I'm trying to act like someone I'm not. I mean I, I get that that's a very obvious thing to say, but I feel like lately I've become very aware of it. And even when I'm in it and it's happening to me and I'm trying to fight against it, like I'm trying to fight against acting a certain way so that I'll, people will think I'm funny or that people will think I am just such a great AA or that I'm some expert in something or I don't know. I don't know why my ego wants me to be different than I really am, but it does. And... So I can understand. I can understand mm-hmm. people feeling like they need to act like a different person to be liked or to be loved or to whatever. But it's mm-hmm. like, it's, but in that situation, in the catfish situation, it's never going to come to fruition. Like, it's never going to, I mean, I could be me and lie about who I am to someone's face and just be like, yeah, I'm an expert, whatever. And I, and just make a, bu- a bunch of lies, but it's never going to be like, when we meet in person and they see me, they're going to know I'm lying. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just right. seems strange to construct these lies that well, go on I for think years. It's like, I think it's just, it's the same kind of thing of just like, well, it feels good right now. Right. And I'm, I'll pay, I'm going to pay the, I'll pay the tax when the tax collector comes, but if, but yeah. I'm not going to do it right now. There, there is no right, end like, game. There is no end game. It's just like, there's this, no end game. right. I'm getting a charge out of it right now and I'm getting what I want out of it and I'll just deal with later, later. Yeah. I, I mean, and if we go back to the feeder and the eater, right? Like the person who's being catfished is also participating in a relationship where they don't know, they've never seen a picture of the person. Yeah. That, you know, or they've seen a fake picture and they're, mm-hmm. they're like, Neve and Max always go, well, did you ever Google the picture? And they're just like, no. <laughs> no. Well, because yeah, they don't, don't want know. it to be, they don't want to know either. So yeah. it's like, well, yeah, there's a criminal, right? There's a perpetrator. But there's also a person who's like, likes the fantasy too, to an extent, right? I'm, sure. I know there's cases where yeah. it's just like, oh, I had literally no idea. And this was like very expertly done and whatever but those are the rare rarer examples usually it's like well i just really like talking to her and i ask if she has a if we can facetime and she says her camera's broken so i just <laughs> talked to her on the phone for a year yeah. right like yeah. yeah they're in the same kind of 
illusion. I mean, it, to me, it's just like a fantasy novel for 2020, right? Like, this is now how we participate in in make-believe, in, in fantasy, mm-hmm. in, like, what romance, the, like, foils of romance look, can look like. But I will say, and since you mentioned Jeremy, who is a person that you were in a relationship with, and in regards to being in relationships, I will say that I've been in relationships where I have felt the need to mutate myself or not be my actual authentic self because that person, I mean, not that it's not, it's not them, but to contort myself in a way that I felt needed to be, that I needed to be in that certain state or shape or whatever to be able to stay in that relationship. And I've definitely done that multiple times, which is a catfish of sorts because it it's is not... That is kind of a catfish, right? It's a little bit right. of a catfish. Because it's not sustainable and it's and you're never going to be content or, or self-actualized or self-realized or whatever. And I was watching a... Jane Fonda documentary, like the five phases of Jane Fonda. And she, after she left her, left her last marriage, she said that she had the realization that she would never be able to be fully self-realized to be her full self if she was in any relationship, that she had always made huge concessions to stay in a relationship or to be in a marriage. And so she knew that for this next chapter of her life or whatever, that she wanted to be her true self. And she knew that she had to be alone, you know, to be able to do that. And that kind of rang true for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, playing small. Yeah. Playing small is a type of a catfish, right? Like Mm -hmm. being, you know, like agreeable even like okay where do you want to eat tonight i don't know whatever you want that's a catfish right that's That's the worst part to me that's the worst part of being in a relationship is the what do you want to eat tonight that is the the conversation i hope i never have to have (laughs) i hate that i hate everything about that also, I mean, I will say I haven't had that. Re- I haven't had a relationship like that in a while, right? Yeah. Where I where I feel like I really want a hot dog, but I don't want to admit to him that I like hot dogs because that's not very ladylike. <laughs> so I'm gonna say I don't know instead of a hot dog. Yeah. I mean, put a bullet through me if I am ever yeah. in that relationship again, man. Yeah, me too. And just end it, man. Just mm-hmm. push me off a cliff. Yeah, I feel like in my last couple of relationships, I've talked about this before a little bit, I was often told what I liked or didn't like, or I was told how I felt or didn't feel, or I was told what I was thinking or wasn't thinking or whatever. And, you know, when I look back on it, it a lot of it really was about food. Like, both of these people happen to have, like, very specific things around food, which I really don't have. But, I mean, I'm an adult, and even to the extent that I was in the grocery store with one of them and... We were going down, like, the aisle to get, you know, fizzy water. And I wanted a certain flavor. And the person I was with at that time is as a financially secure person. <laughs> we're buying mm-hmm. water. So mm-hmm. I wanted a certain flavor of bubbly water. And he said, no, 
we're getting this other flavor instead. And I said, well, that's great that that's the flavor you like. And the flavor that he liked was really a flavor that I truly, really don't like. It was like cherry mm-hmm. something. I don't like cherries. And the flavor I wanted was just like a very standard flavor, a lemon or a lime, which I think is the universal Yeah, that's bubbly, bubbly water. water flavor. Yeah. And I said, let's get both. And he said, no. What What is that? I mean... That is like stripping away yeah. bit by bit. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to take away everything that makes her think that anything that she wants or needs has any value or is important in any way, down to what flavor of water you're yeah. going to drink. Yeah. So well, and, and what's weird, too, is like, oh, I'm attracted to her because she is an independent woman with her own bank account, with her own abilities, with her own life, with interests. friends, mm-hmm. with interests, with like hobbies and income. Right. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to slowly over a matter of time in 1000 miniature ways, mm-hmm. I'm going to take those away from her. Shame her for them, (laughs) you know, cut them off slowly until she is totally dependent upon me and will never leave. And then Mm. here's the second act. I am going to resent her for being (laughs) so dependent upon me. Yeah. And that's a theme. (gasps) That is a theme. Remember I was saying this about my son's dad? Yeah. Right. Wow. All right, all right, all right. Right? Yeah. I mean, what instead of like, right, but what it, is d- that? But like you what said, though, it? am I the feeder or am I the eater? Exactly. Creates, are you the wh- feeder or are you the eater? Who creates what? I, am right. I creating? Am I fawning? That's the other thing that I was talking to my friend Andrea about over the weekend at the at Fots was... I think I've been in fight or flight so much of my life that I think in relationships, I'm still in fight or flight, of course, and I fawn. So, which is, you just fight, agree. Fight, freeze, or fawn. You just agree to everything out of yeah. fear. Yeah. Of, That's how, like, people that who are kidnapped survive the kidnapping, mm-hmm. right, sometimes, right? They, yeah. They acquiesce. They go with, they go along with it. They say yes. Mm-hmm. They, like... Create a relationship with the person, and it's all like, it's all survival tactics. I mean, women know it very well, mm-hmm. right? Like that's how you've survived attacks before, likely, right? Like, do you feel like you've done that before in a romantic relationship? Um. Yeah. Absolutely. With the recently absolutely. mentioned person. Um. That one, it feels like it's a little bit more complex and definitely like I didn't have one strategy that I employed the whole time, right? Like, Well, no. And I mean, when you're, I didn't know I was doing it when I was doing it. I was just trying to to keep the peace and just like, I'm willing to make concessions. Like I don't want to fight with King Baby in the grocery store. So I just am like, fine, I'll drink your stupid cherry flavored bubbly water. Right. To try to avoid that retaliation or to try to avoid the consequence of, It's like, it's, it's so wild how, like, nonverbal cues or, like, we're going to talk about your independence, but not in a way, 
not in a direct way or mm. or like how I'm threatened by your independence, but we're going to talk about it in the grocery aisle about bubbly water, is that same conversation in this microscopic way because we can't actually talk about our relationship. Mm-hmm. We can't actually talk about like, I feel nervous that you're like, you could leave at any time and I can't reconcile with that. It makes me feel afraid and not safe and, and that, and have that be the conversation instead Mm -hmm. of like, I have to slowly strip away all your, all your individualities and make you dependent upon me because otherwise you're going to leave and that scares me. So I have to change you. Mm hmm. Right. People, it's like vulnerability is something it seems like most people avoid at every cost. Yeah. Especially in a romantic relationship, which is where you should probably be the most vulnerable and have to have the most authentic because relationship. Because what, what are you going to have? I mean, yeah. I say this like I'm some kind of fucking expert at it, but I'm really like the first time in my life been in a currently in a relationship where I feel like is based on honesty and vulnerability. First mm-hmm. time ever. So I'm definitely not an expert, but I have, like, made a lot of bad mistakes a lot of times. So I feel like I know kind of what not to do a little bit. Sure. And and I'm, like, pretty practiced at witnessing myself and my motivation at this point. But it's like being vulnerable is the big avoid, right? Do not mm-hmm. do that. And that, I think, comes from just, like, generations and generations of trauma of, like, it's actually like very risky to be vulnerable because someone's going to call you a pussy or someone's going to call you a slur or so they're going to use it against hurt you. you or they're going to use it against you right like throw it in your face like oh yeah, yeah remember when you what up yeah i mean that's happened to me so many times but right. in the instance of the person that was the bubbly water in the grocery store i will say that there were times in situations where i would try to draw a boundary with that person and just say, hey, it feels really uncomfortable to me when you do X, Y, Z. Can you please not do X, Y, Z? And he would say, I didn't do that. And then the first time that happened, I was just like, oh, this is not going to work out. I mean, it's that then you know that you're with a narcissist. You know that you're getting gaslighted and just like, I had enough intuitively you just know like okay well and I didn't know much about it at that time but I've learned about it since that that is like one of the major flags or markers of someone with narcissism where they just refuse to ever take any personal responsibility or accountability for something that they actually have done (laughs) and I know because I was there I'm just like well but I was there when this happened and this did happen and to have him just bold-faced lie to my face and say I didn't do that it was like okay yeah, well then wild. you get into the narcissistic piece of it which is yeah s- right so your only option at that point is to leave there's nothing you can do when you're up against that like malignant narcissistic yeah well what happened what how long did you stay after bubbly water we were on a trip when that happened we were in Hawaii and I think I I think I'd st- didn't really, as soon as we got back to the States, I think I pulled the plug. We did another attempt. Some time went by, you know, and we talked and it was just like, well, let's let's give it a shot. And that was a bummer too, because it was a week long trip. And so I was trapped. <laughs> I was trapped with him. 
after the, you know, and within the first five minutes, knowing like, oh, this was a mistake, and then you're just stuck together on a boat, you know, just. It's like my nightmare. It was even thinking about it now really gives me the tights. And I also was in a situation back then where I was so unhappy in my life that I just need I needed any reason to just kind of glom onto something else to get something going, you know, like I just was kind of at a I was just at a sort of rock bottom of my life and myself I mean I think I probably was just like massively suffering from just being completely overtaken by ego you know yeah and just like well someone comes along and says I'll take care of you come live my life I was like sure yeah, I'll trade my life for that one. Yeah, my life isn't doing it for me. Instead of really instead of really investigating myself and really turning and facing all the things in my life that I w- would have liked to have been different or had the ability to change, I didn't. I just took the the ego way out. And I will say that I'm really grateful for that experience, but it was one of the more painful things I've ever been through in my life, for sure. Just... Being just really facing, but I really, I feel like it really did start me down a path of, I mean, I had to have another very traumatic experience in a relationship before I really got serious about like, I don't want to have this relationship anymore. Like, I just don't want to, what can I do to not? I mean, it turns out, it turns out there's a cost to yeah. like yeah the cost each is too cut, high right yeah. each cut each severance from your actual self from your real who you, who god wants you to be from your real like vulnerable this is it unapologetic i mean the way i the way i think of it with women that i work with the way i talk about it with them is like when you were born god tattooed who you are and your moral code and your like hopes and dreams and ethics on your heart. And when you live outside of that, it causes suffering. And so every time we're like, okay, well I'm scared to be alone. And this guy says that he's going to take care of me and it's going to cost like three fingers and two toes and half my ear. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, okay, that seems. That Probably seems like won't a hurt good that time. bad. It'll just right. hurt for a second and then I'll get and then used we to make it. Those, yeah. We make those concessions and we live outside of who we're supposed to be, who, who God intended us to be, who, what the universe needs us to be. And it causes suffering. Well, and then what happens is like, I create my own suffering. Based on ego and fear and right. all that stuff. And right. then I need relief. I can't yeah, live in right. this amount of suffering. So then guess what? Right. So then even back then at that time, I started thinking about that, about how lucky I was to make it out of those two relationships still, you know, sober and about the uncomfortableness and the suffering and needing relief and all that stuff. And then I, And then that's really when I started kind of learning more about trauma and about childhood stuff and original wound and what if addiction what if that could be a trauma response you know what if the suffer the the whatever suffering happened to me as a kid whatever trauma whatever that looks like doesn't have to be physical assault doesn't have to be 
something that happened could be the lack of something that I needed as a kid. What if that suffering caused me to need that relief so that when I was introduced to opiates or drinking or whatever, that it was just like, oh, God, that's the relief that I needed. I would bet you that we could draw a chart between, like, types of abuse and and types Mm. of addiction. And we could say, like, okay, death of mom increases Mm. likelihood of this. You know, I bet you there's, like, I don't know, there's there's a 9 billion different people. They probably all have slightly different experiences. Maybe it would never be that clear, but... But I'm sure there is Well, we could make a chart about every episode of My 600-Pound Life that we've seen and draw a pretty... It's so much Pretty substantial connection between what happened to those most of those people and eating for comfort. And a lot of it also has to do with sexual assault. Yeah. A lot of abandonment by one or the other parent and a lot of a lot of sexual assault. Yeah. And then I, I think, you know, because it starts with them so young that by they're big in school, I think to be like differently sized in school is yeah. really Bu- tough. they're bullied. And so that's yeah. like, and then often for the women's stories, they often marry an abusive spouse. Mm-hmm. Often. Yeah. And I mean, I think both of us know, both of us have the experience of, like, being gaslit as a child is, like, incredibly damaging, man. I grew up, I I still am a, my biological family is all, like, A, incapable of being honest if it will disclose any amount of vulnerability. Mm. Can't do it. Would rather defend will not talk about anything deeper than day-to-day. Logistics. Logistics. And then there was me and my little brother who grew up, I mean, and I'm sure my sister too, to an extent. I think she does a lot more fawning as a Mm. defense. But we grew up like, I'll, I, I, to grow up in a system where like, you don't talk about the the terrible things that are happening Mm -hmm. around you. You know, we grew up like sometimes pretty poor, but that, but we didn't ever really talk about that. We didn't talk about, you know, the state of our, the inside of our house. We didn't talk about alcoholism. We didn't talk about uh, my parents moved across the country from their parents and we didn't really ever talk to them or see them except for once in a while. And that they like they must have been lonely. We didn't talk about anything yeah. like that, and so. But I felt all those things. I felt like w- alcoholism and like I can't have friends over because my house is a is absolute chaos inside. I you know I never ever have any pocket money. I never had mm-hmm. money. I never had like bus fare mm-hmm. pocket money. I know, like, uh, most people probably had a life more difficult than that, but it did what it did to me, which was, like, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah, and then what what happened to me, I think it's, like, it's really hard for me to be confrontational, even though I can be very, like, 
I mean, I can say the wrong stuff a lot and I can be kind of brazen or just like a little, I can, I don't know. It's just never the right kind of confrontational or whatever. And also to learn how to really draw a healthy boundary was really hard for me. I mean, especially in, or or, yeah, to really talk about the stuff that's really going on. But to even go deeper than that, it was hard for me to even identify what was going mm-hmm. on or how right. I felt about something that was going on right. or whatever. It's just like it nobody yeah, it, that. it mucks up your whole system of guidance, of self-guidance, it, your intuition, your your conscious contact and your your like your gut. Like you learn to not trust your gut and that's all you have. And so to try to reconnect to that and try to figure out what that what that guidance is or what that voice is to try to tune back into that when I hadn't been tuned into it since I was probably a toddler and not know which which is the right thing. And, and I mean, I go, I come to you a lot with stuff of just like, I feel like I'm going to say this. Is this something that people should say or would say or whatever? Because I just right. sometimes I can't gauge the reality of like, is this right. appropriate or not? Right. Because... It's, right. I, I just didn't have practice. We didn't have practice, you know, when we were kids. And that's why it's so amazing to me that you are so accurate. Or, or It seems like you have a, a really pretty accurate gauge of constructive ways to say things that aren't super inflammatory, that aren't scorch the earth, that are just like... Well... I'm also not a fire yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. so I got that That's helpful, yeah, that's helpful. I mean, my, yeah, and that's the other thing. It's like, for me, it was either zero or scorched earth. And so to find the sweet spot in the middle there of just, like, speaking my truth, having, just gauging, like, where on the, where on the spectrum, where on that scale I, I am on any given day. Like, I don't know if I'll ever fully 100% trust myself on the first pass. You know, it's just like, oh, I've crafted this email. Can you take a look at it? It's like, yeah, but you know you have to take those last two sentences off because they're... Right. They, they muddle the message, too. Like the... Yeah, I mean, I definitely have been that person in yeah. my family, well, yeah. too, in recovery of just like, God, Carrie's just a loose cannon. She'll say anything, you know, and it's like the the like the the meat of it is probably the right topic. But the delivery right. is just wrapped right. in. Yeah, but you lose yeah, it in the delivery. Right. And then people can say like, well, you're right. a hothead. Ca- yeah, Carrie's in, so reactive and it's like a nuclear attack when she wants to say something confrontational because I just don't have any any realistic gauge of how of how to do it constructively or how to just do it lovingly or you know calmly and compassionately and stuff and that's just something I'm probably gonna have to practice for the rest of my life yeah but I'll say you're I mean I feel like the last I don't know five years like have you become a different type I feel better yeah I feel better I mean I feel like I feel like I've gotten in touch and I mean that's because of the tower card right like the universe saw fit to strip my ego away from me in a non-glamorous very unceremonious way which I'm so grateful for but that's what it took you know to the ego on this the ego on this one is just like a it's a demon you know it's just yeah I was just born with I feel like I was just really born with a chip on my shoulder and I've just felt that way my whole life. 
And I don't, I don't feel that way all the time anymore, you know, so I can, I feel different. I can tell that it's changing, but I'm terrified to get in a relationship. That's for sure. I mean, I have close friends that are in healthy relationships that have communication and they seem like they're themselves in the relationships and stuff. And it gives me hope, but it doesn't make me feel like I want to do it, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm afraid of myself. Of yeah. Pretty right. Intense. Right. And like, yeah. how do you trust your own judgment? Although I have had a few tests recently people may taking a run at it and being able to really listen to my intuition and just saying, Oh no, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take a pass on this one and feeling pretty good about that decision. But yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, I don't know. It's like the purpose of the desert in metaphor is to like burn off all the things that aren't you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and you walked through the desert, and... I got burnt up, I'll tell you that. You got burnt, you got burnt, and, but now, like, now, like, what you know is that you can survive the mm-hmm. desert, right? And, and like, I know that when I got to that point with, where I was like, yeah, I mean, it might not look like, it looks like I'm probably not going to be in a relationship ever again, and I'm kind, and I'm, I'm not even... It's like the 10-step promises, right? I'm not thinking about it, and I'm not not right. thinking about mm-hmm. it, right? Like, it, it's not there anymore where I have this, like, I'm not okay unless I have a boyfriend, or I'm, I'm like, an outcast unless I'm partnered, mm-hmm. or I just don't have that anymore. I don't have it. I mean, and, you know, the, my story is I've put two relationships in the ground, right? Like, two people that I have partnered with didn't survive the relationship. I'm not saying that it was my fault, but I'm saying that that is the fact, yeah. right? Yeah. That I have been in a relationship with two people that did not survive to end the relationship. And so there was definitely fallout from that of like, I'll never be in a relationship again. And like, that's probably best for the universe. <laughs> for the other people right? in the relationship. It's right. not funny, like, but I don't want to take anyone. I mean, else out. it's wild. It's that's that's a yeah. that's a real that's a real blocker to have to. That's a hurdle to overcome when you're a person in that situation. Like, how could you ever? Yeah, I mean, I get it. I've 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 seen it. I've watched it. Do you think that the second relationship that ended in that way is something that you're going to ever want to discuss on the podcast? I mean, I will. Yes, I will. It's a like an it's an important part of like how I got to be mm-hmm. where I am, right? It's, and it there's like a I had a lot of really profound experiences in regards to that. Very educational. I think he does. He deserves like mention, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't want to gloss over yeah him um, because he deserves time and attention but it's tricky because he has surviving family right it's tricky to talk about the inner workings of a relationship of someone that yeah yeah for sure yeah and you can mention your previous relationships and nobody really knows which one you're talking (laughs) about but everyone will know who i'm talking about so 
Well, it's, it's also your the experience that you had, and it's your story to tell. You know. Yeah, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you'll find a way to tell it in in a way that's respectful and diplomatic, but also authentic to yeah. your experience and what you know how it looked for and felt and I mean, how it's it felt like, for you. It's a very it's very bizarre, mm-hmm. right? I was married. I mean, Steve died when he was 43 years old. He died in a hotel room of a drug overdose of cocaine. And he was partnered with me. And Jeremy died at 43 years old in a hotel with an overdose of cocaine and was partnered with me. And their memorials were at the same place. Oh, God, that's right. Jesus. Right? Yeah. Well, contemplate it. Take it into your contemplation. And, you know, if you feel like you want to talk about it, then we can next time. And if it turns out you don't, you never have to. It's, there's no pressure. It's just, I mean, it's a significant, it's a pretty significant detail of yeah, of what's going on. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it unfolds. Maybe I'll just start catfishing. Maybe I'll just start catfishing people just for entertainment. Why don't you start catfishing Brad Pitt? <laughs> and what, act like I'm a 25-year-old French model and see if he'll bite? <laughs> no, let's catfish him as you. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> we'll That's just not say, the we'll point just of catfishing. Ca- we'll just like, no, we'll just pretend it's a catfish, but it'll all be real and real photographs of <laughs> oh you. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> confusing that's very kind of you to say that 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 would even work but i mean you only get one trip you might as well try i I would i would take a run at it i mean you know me (laughs) i asked i mean i've asked i've tried to find out where he lives in la and stuff i'm not a i'm not it's just like a double secret double secret catfish okay double okay and then like the reveal is is that it is actually (laughs) you and you didn't lie about anything (laughs) Haha. Ha. So what you're saying is that I need to just f- get laser focused on finding Brad Pitt and making him mine. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. And it might just be easier to do if we just pretend it's a catfish. <laughs> oh, I don't understand that part. <laughs> face t- so I'm just going to use Facetune. I'm going to Facetune all my nudes that I'm going to send them. I could probably dig up the bikini photos that I made my dad take of me when I was five and promised to send to David (laughs) Cassidy. I could probably dig those up. Yeah, I have a history of celebrity celebrity crushing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's just called stalking. God bless. All right, bro. There's still pizza in the kitchen. Oh, nice. I'll see you in the kitchen. I'll see you in the kitchen. 